0: Welcome to the Retail Focus Podcast, a weekly collection of news, interviews, and information from the world
1: of retail. Welcome to this edition of the Retail Focus Podcast. I'm Trent Kling. Coming up on this week's episode, we'll be joined by Ann Sung Ruckstall, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer of Manhattan Associates. She will join us to discuss inventory transparency, also what consumers are asking for as far as in-store technology is concerned, and what customers want in terms of of point-of-sale options. In news, we'll be looking at Dollar Tree's earnings report as well as some early findings from Black Friday and Thanksgiving Day as far as e-commerce sales are concerned. And we will look ahead to one of the larger general merchandise retailers in the U.S. as they have their earnings call next week. A quick reminder that you can check us out on social media at Retail Podcast on both Instagram and Twitter. And certainly if you enjoy the show, hey, feel free to mash that subscribe button each time you do that. It helps other people to find us out due to the algorithms working. Behind the scenes. All right, so earlier this week, it was a big one for earnings, including numbers from some of the bigger retailers on Tuesday of this past week. But quickly, before we get to any of the earnings and discussing Dollar Tree, we did get some early Black Friday numbers just before recording this week's episode. Most of them come via Adobe Analytics. Their early findings had Black Friday online spending. Up 2.3% year-over-year, which was a bit of a positive considering it was thought that in-store sales might see the bigger year-over-year jump. So to see digital sales jumping by 2.3% year-over-year, I think that is promising for many of the retailers out there. One of the trends we discussed with several interviewees heading into the season, including with Mike Webster last week, was buy now, pay later. And Adobe had Buy Now, Pay Later revenue through online channels on Thanksgiving Day up 1.3%. That's revenue. Overall number of orders that leveraged this were up 0.7%. So not a huge jump, but certainly something that might be helping out consumers overall. However, per Salesforce numbers, average order value for Buy Now, Pay Later purchases fell by 6% on Thanksgiving Day. So this may indicate that while more users are using Buy Now Pay Later, they are spending less while doing so. But overall, the Salesforce numbers kind of oppose the Adobe numbers in terms of where revenue is going versus how many times Buy Now Pay Later is used. As we talked about, Adobe numbers have revenue from Buy Now Pay Later up versus transactions. So Adobe data seems to believe a rising and not falling cart size for those that are leveraging this particular technology. As expected, mobile took a greater share of market of overall digital sales, at least per the early numbers. 55% of online sales were mobile on Thanksgiving. 48% of online sales were via mobile on Black Friday, once again according to Adobe. They also noted that the number of shoppers opting for curbside this fell year over year, down to 13% of digital orders from 21% on Black Friday last year. And in a vacuum, this might indicate consumers' desire for maybe delivery over other options. We'll have to wait until we get more brick-and-mortar numbers to see if maybe in-store or buy online pickup in-store was more of an option for customers this year, as experts are very quick to remind us that we are lapping Omicron from 2021. that left many wary of going into stores. You remember what the climate was like 12 months ago. Perhaps people were just more willing to do their Black Friday shopping in store this year, although early returns and early reports from many throughout the country say that perhaps lines weren't exactly where they were in 2019 and 2018. This could also be due to the use of that buy online pickup in store technology that has really scaled up over the last three years. I don't know that we're going to see lines like we saw pre-pandemic throughout the country, at least for most retailers. just seems that retailers are a little bit more savvy as far as throughput in the stores, but also in terms of managing traffic surrounding Black Friday and these Black Friday deals. So now let's circle back to earnings. Like I said, it was a big earnings week, a lot of earnings taking place Tuesday of this past week. Best Buy and Dick's Sporting Goods both beat estimates, as did a Nordstrom that is focusing increasingly on their rack concept mall staples american eagle and abercrombie and fitch also beat on expectations meanwhile burlington again fell short for the second consecutive quarter our focus for this episode though as we alluded to earlier is dollar tree whose earnings showed signs of not only an internal turnaround but also overarching consumer sentiment turning somewhat positive towards the value retailer And we also wanted an update on their price point experiments, not only the move to $1.25 at their flagship stores, but increased value offerings at Family Dollar as they start to anniversary some of the $1.25 price point increases at most of their stores. Now, as far as the $1.25 price point updates are concerned, didn't get many of those, but did get a lot of updates surrounding Family Dollar currently. So, as we get into the numbers, Dollar Tree was expected to post earnings of $1.17 per share by analysts. They bested this mark by $0.03 with earnings of $1.20 per share. On a year over year basis, this is a 25% increase. Some of the positives, at least externally from many analysts, were attributed to their new management team. Although you look at it quite honestly, it might also be the seeds that were planted. In 2020 and 2021 beginning to sprout rather than any initiatives that they've undertaken during the last six months or so. Overall sales rose 8.1% company-wide, and that was driven by same-store sales increases at both of their banners. Of course, they own both Dollar Tree and Family Dollar. At Family Dollar, comps increased 4.1%. That lags inflation, but honestly, given the relative static nature of Family Dollar's pricing and the increase in number of products at that $1.25 price point, that's a positive for Family Dollar in general. At Dollar Tree, meanwhile, there's no arguing about whether it was a positive or not. Comps increased 8.5% when accounting for currency fluctuations. This is a massive win showcasing a positive traffic trend in general. They also saw a slight benefit from new store openings and reservations in the quarter. as Square footage increased by 2.7% company-wide by quarters. And perhaps the biggest news despite the sales jump at Dollar Tree came from Family Dollar. That comp jump of 4.1%, that was their largest since the early days of the pandemic when you saw that stock up buying the pantry stuffing. From customers, Also, their comparable traffic rose for the first time in 12 quarters, signaling a few different things, but generally that their renovations, their addition of Dollar Tree aspects into stores, and their efforts to create lower price point options for customers, those things are winning, especially in rural markets where people don't have a whole lot of choice on where to shop, and you're seeing maybe greater inflation, greater overall pricing, in terms of the first pricing on the shelves at stores like Walmart. Meanwhile, traffic was down slightly at Dollar Tree, but average ticket size jumped up by double digits to fuel those comp gains that we talked about. Something mentioned by management on the call is their increased efforts to pivot towards consumables. This is at both of their brands, and it seems to be connecting with customers. This is something, again, I mentioned, something that was planted even before the pandemic happened in 2020. You saw both of these brands really wanting to focus more on consumables. And that's what I mean when I say we can credit, certainly, current management and the management overturn for some of the positives here at Dollar Tree and Family Dollar. But the reality of it is initiatives like this consumables initiative, these things were started three, four years ago and we're now starting to see it really connect with customers. Family Dollar has always been more consumables heavy in their sales mix, but consumables share jumped for them by 40 basis points year over year to 79.1% in this year's Q3. This leaves just 20.9% for all their other categories, including seasonal, electronics, home, and apparel, but we are seeing those consumables jump in terms of comps too. In terms of comps, consumables outperformed the rest of the store. Those comps jumped 4.7%, while discretionary comps still positive, but just 1.5%. At Family Dollar, what this tells us is that customers are increasingly looking to Family Dollar for consumables categories. They're finding these categories appealing versus some of the other categories that they're selling in stores. And These are also some of the categories that maybe Family Dollar can control a little bit more for inflation too and keep those price points a bit more static in comparison to maybe local grocers or local stores such as Walmart. Dollar Tree, meanwhile, saw a 50 basis point jump in share in terms of consumables. So consumables now make up 46.2% of sales at Dollar Tree. The remainder, 53.8% of sales for Dollar Tree, come from seasonal and variety categories. In terms of comps, all categories at Dollar Tree comped out pretty well. Consumables did, however, see the better of that 9.3% increases for consumables, 8.1% increases for the discretionary categories lumped together. Now, positives to focusing on consumables the way that they are. Obviously, they're driving up sales. These are major sales drivers for both of these storefronts. Downside, decreased margins. Merchandise mix moves towards a greater portion of the lower margin consumables. You're going to see that margin eaten away. Now, Dollar Tree as a company, for both of the banners, was able to counteract this to pretty good effect, mostly through occupancy leverage. More sales on a per-store basis means that with fairly stagnant rents, you're seeing them not maybe pay as much to occupy those spots based on sales numbers. They also saw better leverage for distribution costs, and they also mentioned setting higher initial prices. In other words, that $1.25 price point at Dollar Tree versus the $1 that you saw at most of their stores a year ago. And of course, the latter, that higher initial prices aspect, both taking place at Dollar Tree and Family Dollar, is an attempt to offset those initial cost pressures. Speaking of that $1.25 price point I mentioned earlier, we didn't get much of an update from them as far as how this initiative is going other than the traditional stuff. We see customers enjoying the improved merchandise mix, etc, cetera, etc. Cetera. They did confirm, though, that they now have improved sourcing ability, especially with price impacts on the purchasing end. And overall, the timing of the $1.25 price point switch, you would have to think, was a pretty positive one considering the amount of inflation we've seen in product sourcing over the last 12 months. Now, on the negative side, margin-wise, there was higher shrink and also higher markdown activity in the third quarter, but in aggregate... They saw gross margin increase by 240 basis points. Another big win for the retailer, most of that coming by way of deleveraging those rent costs. One additional interesting thing they noted, and something perhaps to keep in mind for other retailers, is higher utility costs. This doesn't work into the gross margins at all because this is stored in the selling general and administrative expenses portion of their expenses. But it's certainly something that retailers may begin to see the effect from as utilities providers, particularly gas and electric, begin to increase rates throughout the United States, might particularly burn retailers in colder climates during the course of the winter. Additionally, as a company saw higher costs surrounding repairs and maintenance for the properties encumbered with those triple net leases that we talk about where the retailer is responsible for repairs and maintenance. We've heard from stores and property managers now in several markets that maintenance costs and things such as even snow removal for those colder climates, those costs have spiked as much as 50% year over year as service providers just like retailers have struggled to find staffing. And so you're going to see those costs increase and you're going to potentially see this really play into the fourth quarter and first quarter results Of a lot of retailers who are going to see costs for not only utilities, but also their service providers that they use kind of skyrocket or at least go up in some way, shape, or form. We mentioned as a company, Dollar Tree's 2.7% increase in selling square footage. Well, that was a result of them opening 102 new stores and expanding or relocating 20 stores. They did close 41 stores in the quarter. And unlike Dollar General, which has pretty much just been in expansion mode with very few closures, Dollar Tree continues to revisit their real estate footprint and adjust as necessary. This has been the case really ever since the Dollar Tree family dollar merger. And part of the adjustment for the company over the last two to three years has been to maybe revisit their plans to keep certain locations open or to close certain locations because They've seen success from the Family Dollar H2 renovations. They've seen success from the Family Dollar and Dollar Tree combo stores. In the early days following the merger, which is hard to believe, around seven years ago, they sought to install Dollar Tree stores in some underperforming Family Dollar locations, basically switching out the banner. If you had a Family Dollar that was underperforming and the area met certain requirements internally, they would just simply pop a Dollar Tree in there, take the Family Dollar out However, that process no longer seems to be the case. They figured out ways to leverage the existing family dollar stores to increase both sales and traffic as in this prior quarter. And in fact, most of the new store openings for the company as a whole, those have been family dollar stores. In this past quarter alone, 79 new family dollar stores were open, allowing family dollar stores to overtake Dollar Tree for the total number of locations in the chain as a whole. Net growth rate in square footage Year to date for Family Dollar, that's 3.9% compared to just 1.7% for Dollar Tree. Part of this growth has to do with their combo stores. There's now 700 combo stores in the Family Dollar system. Those combo stores that you see pretty frequently actually in rural markets, but also in some urban areas as well. 4,300 Family Dollar stores are H2, and the remaining 3,179 Family Dollar stores are the standard older family dollars, but they are seeking to renovate another few hundred into their H2 format for the coming year. Finally, looking into their fourth quarter, company as a whole expects mid to high single digit comp increases across the business. So both retailers combined. I think this is a positive sign because this is a retailer that honestly in the current inflationary climate should be seeing customers flowing to their doors in part because of the lower price points, in part because of maybe a trade-down effect that you might begin to see, even though we've seen a lot of experts say, hey, we really haven't seen that trade-down so far. We've seen a lot of retailers also say we haven't really seen a trade-down so far. But you would expect retailers like this to be having a lot of success, maybe not in the holiday season, but especially looking ahead to Q1 of next year, you would anticipate maybe a, a very solid year for Dollar Tree and Family Dollar. And again, It's all about reaping those rewards from projects that they implemented. 2018, 2019, 2020. I think a lot of analysts can be short-sighted and look at maybe what they've done in the last three to six months. But honestly, this is a long-standing process for Dollar Tree. And whatever they're doing internally seems to be the right thing to do as they go forward. Solid numbers expected for the fourth quarter and solid numbers for this third quarter that was well coming up after this break we'll be joined by ann ruckstall again senior vice president and chief marketing officer of manhattan associates we'll discuss manhattan associates recent research as they performed a study regarding consumer sentiments surrounding how they want to shop where they want to shop and inventory visibility we'll talk a lot about inventory availability what retailers need to do to ensure inventory availability for their customers we'll also talk about the fact that just a single digit percentage of retailers actually feel comfortable with their current method of recording inventory pretty astounding number and we'll talk to her about how retailers can get things pointed in the right direction going forward More than ever, retailers and customers are both discussing the importance of inventory transparency. This year alone, several big-name retailers rolled out inventory counts to their websites and their apps. And while it appears as though inventory transparency seems to be becoming table stakes in the 2020s, a shocking number of retailers are uncomfortable with their ability to give customers a true idea of inventory on hand in a given location even if they claim to have things under control on things like earnings calls. Joining us to discuss the new frontier of inventory management and transparency, along with the findings of a latest comprehensive study, is Ann sun Ruckstall, Senior Vice President and Chief Marketing Officer at Manhattan Associates. And welcome to the show.
0: Hey, nice to be
1: here, Trent. First, I was wondering if you could fill in our audience on what Manhattan Associates does on the day-to-day.
0: Oh, happy to. So we're a software company, completely SaaS. And basically what we do is provide software that allow our customer to unite their front-end sales, whether it's a physical store or e-commerce, with their back-end supply chain execution. So you have supply and demand connected together so you can get goods to the right place at the right time the way that customers want
1: them. All right. So pretty straightforward there. Now that you provided some background on Manhattan Associates, I was wondering if you could give us some background on the recent study we'll be discussing today, who was surveyed and kind of the reason you conducted the research there.
0: Yeah, happy to do that. I think all of us, especially over the last almost three years, have gone so much more digital. The pace of acceleration has picked up because of the pandemic. So all of us are consumers. And most of us have gone omni-channel, if you will. We want the retailers to serve us, know us, and not waste our time. So this survey is really to understand what the consumers' buying behaviors and expectations are. And also on the other side, we survey the large tier one retailers around the world to see what are their prioritization and how do they plan to serve us today's consumers. So it's really a juxtaposition, if you will, on what the consumer expect and what the retailers are doing. And we're discovering some very interesting gaps here and there.
1: I think that's one of the more interesting things about this research is you did pull a ton of retailers as well to get both sides of the story. If you were to give someone just maybe the headline findings, the top level findings of the study overall, what jumped out to you the most as you were running through the numbers?
0: I would say the first one is grandma is omni-channel. It's not just the Gen Zs or the millennials. Everybody is omni-channel. It's pretty interesting that we find over 80% of U.S. shoppers today, they actually look online before they shop in person, in a store. So we're all looking around for the best price, the most options, and the fastest way to get our goods. So everybody is omnichannel and that cuts across generations and age group. That's number one. Number two is we're finding that consumers today, they want more visibility, and honestly, it's beyond visibility into what's available to them, but they now want control especially on the last mile on how do they get their goods and where they get their merchandise. So definitely seeing a shift towards that. And then also the fact that stores, most stores are not keeping up and they really need to be modernized. And the brands are doing that to make their store so much more than a store. It's a hub of all kinds of activities from fulfillment to customer service, to better clientele, if you will. So those are, I would say, the top three findings from this last round of research.
1: I think it's interesting. I did want to ask a follow-up question on that because you mentioned everyone basically is shopping online. Many, many people are shopping online, searching for deals, comparing products, etc. So that product presence is very important. And you mentioned, you know, retailers might not be keeping up. What's the most important aspect or maybe fast of that product presence online to ensure that transparency for the end consumer?
0: Well if I look at the statistics 26 percent of the over 3500 adults that we surveyed actually now expect the store associates to know the inventory and stock availability whether it's at their current store, in a nearby store and if the product is out of stock They expect the sales associate to be able to order that product from the nearest fulfillment center and distribution center for home delivery and collection. So I would say this visibility expectation, it goes beyond just self-service when you shop online. That same expectation is now carried over to the store experience as well. And then on the flip side, when we ask the 700 retail senior managers What are they doing? Only 3% of the US retailer survey actually say that they have an accurate view of their inventory across their entire business, i.e. in stores and online 100% of the time. So 26% of consumers say, I expect you to be able to tell me not just online but in store and give me the next best option. Yet 3% of the retailer believe they have that accuracy of inventory across the network. There's definitely a disconnect here.
1: I think that 3% number, that's what jumped out to me the most about this survey is so many retailers pretend like they know what's going on with their inventory, but realistically, internally, if you get them to answer honestly, they don't feel all that comfortable. I'm curious, as someone that does this on the day-to-day, as someone that is working with retailers, on the day-to-day regarding things like inventory availability and that transparency there. Where are the shortcomings for retailers? Why is it that 97% of retailers don't have a good finger on the pulse of their product inventory at the end of the day?
0: Yeah, that is very interesting indeed. Well, I would say is multitude of reasons. It is be able to unite the data, which is the foundation, to visibility, right? And not just uniting them, but have accurate view of where the inventory resides across your network. It's easier said than done. So that's one part of it. You gotta have the confidence and what I consider to be the accuracy of promising that it is available at a certain place. And then the next part is the control part, which is the consumer also wanna know not just visibility but also for my specific order, how do I get that merchandise the way I want to, very fast, right? So there's that whole concern and expectation on the last mile. It's very interesting that the consumers basically saying it's great that you give you visibility, which the retailers do need to be able to address. But two third of them. Actually, say that, well, that's good to know, but until I get the goods the way I want it, right, they would like to have fulfillment options such as delivery dates, the different cost options, including a choice of couriers. So that's 69% of the consumer saying they care about that. And 80% of them actually say they want a combination of home delivery, and then 34% want to have an option to do contactless and curbside pickup options as well. So I would say it's beyond just visibility, you have to figure out how to get that to the consumer as well. So that is a challenge of our modern retail
1: nowadays. You mentioned one of the pitfalls is of course getting the systems to work together. And we know retailers oftentimes will just add systems on systems. They don't always talk to each other. They don't always work together. I'm curious, what are some other common pitfalls that you see or that retailers experience just regarding inventory transparency and making sure their inventory is correct on the back end?
0: So this is where the technology part comes in. You have to have systems that talk to each other and can coordinate with each other. It's beyond just visibility. It's the execution and the movement of goods. So... I think one of the challenge that many retailers have is that you're as fast as your slowest link, if you will. So you may have visibility, but you don't know how accurate they are. And the technology people are using nowadays from warehouse management to transportation management to order management all the way to store operations like point of sale, they all have to work in concert and they have to be able to pass information to each other and actually facilitate the movement of the goods as well. So this is where technology that are cloud-based, that are cloud-native, which means that they are microservices-based, they're API-driven so that data is connected and the execution, most importantly, is connected. So the goods can move from one point to the next So that not only do you provide inventory visibility, you can actually promise availability of the delivery of the goods. After all, you know, the whole inventory movement is the path to revenue and you're not going to be able to book revenue until the customer receives their goods, right? So it is not just visibility. It is a technology that's underpinning that it can be a facilitator or it can be a barrier, And I would say right now we're seeing the challenges of a lot of the legacy software that simply don't play well together. And as such, it's hindering your ability to deliver that inventory visibility as well as inventory availability.
1: Some very interesting points there, particularly surrounding the legacy software, as you mentioned, maybe not really talking with one another. Now, apart from questions of inventory, you mentioned it in the early going. The study had a number of different questions for these consumers, had some interesting findings regarding point of sale or the front end as far as brick and mortar was concerned. What did customers say from the study about how they wish to check out in-store once they have the product, once they have the merchandise and they want to get on their way?
0: Yep. What we're seeing here is digital self-service is definitely gaining traction and honestly in some cases, we're wondering is checkout on the way out. So what we're finding here is that two-third of the consumers would prefer to ditch the traditional in-store checkout. 29% say they prefer self-checkout on the shop floor. 12% would prefer scan and go via a store device or their own mobile phone. 6% would choose to check out with a shop assistant on a mobile device, so not at the traditional, you know, fixed point of sale terminal, if you will. And then I think Amazon Go style has trained many of us to literally have RFID everywhere, <laughs> that you just take the goods and you walk out and you recognize who you are, you're automatically charged. So we actually had 10% of our consumers saying they prefer that Amazon Go style, right? So we're seeing people preferring different ways to check out. And a lot of people would like to self-service. And here's an interesting fact, trend is that we're finding a third of U.S. consumer, they actually want to buy and check out on social media. I think this is the rise of the TikToks and Instagrams of the world. And they would like to be able to shop and check out right there on social media using Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, Pay. pick your you know, payment of method. So we're definitely seeing consumer wanting to control more of not just the shopping, but also the checkout and payment process on their own.
1: It's very interesting and becoming a lot more about meeting the customer where they're at, not just in terms of product, but also in terms of how they want to check out as well. At least as regards this survey and this study, as we look ahead to the first quarter of 2023, you know, returns are always such a huge subject after the holiday season i was shocked in terms of the survey results to see how few retailers seem to have a truly omni-channel reverse logistics process it seems to me to be very logical to offer returns across your different platforms but what did retailers say in your survey about return capabilities both online and in-store
0: so i would say about 50 percent can really do this return wise and reverse logistic across the different channels so we're finding that just a little over half of retailers offer buy in store and return online and then 55% actually offers buy online and return in store. so we have a ways to go with half of the retail population need to reach that 100% so there is a limitation there for sure.
1: Pretty astonishing numbers there as we head into 2023 now we'll close out on this because Obviously, we are turning the calendar over to a new year here in just a few weeks. Can't believe it's almost the end of 2022. As you look throughout the retail landscape, as someone obviously that's involved with this on the day to day, what excites you most about 2023 as it pertains to the retail industry?
0: Well, I do think, you know, we are possibly heading into a recession, depends on who you ask, right? So how do you hedge against recession? How do you hedge against uncertainty? And I would say operational excellence is the right way to do it because it is a given that the consumers are omnichannel. They are smart. They look for alternatives. So I would say the new normal has already arrived. And what excites me is the fact that all of us, whether you are the consumer or you are the retailing side, we are recalibrating for the next normal, right? As the budget tightens, as people look for more deals, your ability to make the most of your online as well as your digital stores is paramount to your success. And I can tell you the store is no longer a store. As the pandemic calms down, And as people go back in person, how you transform your store in 2023, and I would say way beyond that, is so important to a retailer's ultimate success. So retailers need to approach this by understanding the consumer behavior, right, from how they shop, how they expect services. All of us need to think about store and I think the store associates, the sales associates, their job is so much more than what they were using in the past. Now they are concierge service, they can do customer service, so they need to be empowered with information about the customers coming through that front door. The store has now become micro-fulfillment centers, right? So you got to empower your people with a lot more technology, especially in light of the labor shortage, so they can do more and deliver that excellent customer experience because consumers demand that. And that's what excites me about the retail industry. I think the stores are going to be so much more in 2023 and beyond.
1: Alright, so a lot of great stuff to look for over the next year and as you say, beyond. Well, and thank you so much for taking the time. join us today, discuss this study from Manhattan Associates, and discuss your look ahead.
0: Thank you for having me. As always, we may have a position in or against companies we discuss on the podcast. Do not invest in stocks solely on the input of the
1: podcast hosts. We thank Anne for the enlightening discussion and taking the time to join us. Since it is a holiday weekend, I hope everyone enjoyed the kickoff to Black Friday shopping weekend and everyone enjoyed their Thanksgiving. If you celebrate that, for those in America, we look ahead to the next month. But specifically, I'm going to be looking ahead to, well, Dollar General, actually. We talked about Dollar Tree in the first segment of the show, and at the risk of making this show a little bit too dollar store centric, really we view Dollar General as just another general merchandise retailer only with a much smaller footprint than the likes of Walmart and Target. Now the reason I'm looking ahead is they're scheduled to release their third quarter earnings on December 1st. and We've seen, obviously, the numbers from Dollar Tree and Family Dollar, What i'd like to see from dollar general is where they're at traffic wise in compared to family dollar because we know dollar general has been more profitable generally speaking than the likes of dollar tree as a company but i want to see those traffic numbers beginning to go up you look at dollar general and some of the things that they've implemented very similar to family dollar increased cooler doors increased focus on consumables so going to be looking at the comp numbers for them as well Also, really want to see where the company is forecasting not only the upcoming Q4, but also Q1 of next year. Again, this is a climate that would seem to favor dollar store retailers or those that claim to be in the dollar store category versus the likes of a Walmart or maybe even a Target where that competition exists. Obviously, Dollar General does business in a ton of rural areas. Realistically, their only competition in these areas is family dollar, local stores where they exist, and that's becoming fewer and farther between now, and the likes of Walmart. So if they're seeing those traffic numbers increase, that leads you to believe that they're doing something well to attract those customers. And I do believe that this will be a time, this time of inflation that we see, this time of consumer pressure, particularly on lower to middle income consumers, This is a time where you could see customer habits shift. And so for retailers like Dollar General or Dollar Tree or Family Dollar or Walmart, whoever it is that you're looking at there, this is a time to win share of wallet going forward. If you can attract customer habits now at the tail end of 2022 and in the first half of 2023, I think it's a chance to really solidify those customer habits for the next couple of years. So what's Dollar General doing on that front to A, solidify those customer habits, and B, are we seeing signs that they are increasing traffic to their stores in this type of environment where really you should see off-pricers and these lower-price-point general merchandisers making all kinds of hay with the current macroeconomic climate. So lots of reasons to look ahead towards these initiatives at Dollar General. And about this time of year, they always give their look at how many locations they'll grow by in the coming year. I want to see if those will be scaled back due to increased construction costs. Something that we've talked about before on the show is that contractors are no longer seeing that discrete benefit building these locations. Basically, in order for these contractors that Dollar General works with to build new locations, in order for that to make sense for them, Dollar General is going to have to sign more expensive leases as the contractors turn around and then sell the Dollar Generals off to investors. So what does that dynamic for them in the year ahead? And also, will they curtail opening of new locations given costs to build the new locations going up? So really lots of interesting stuff typically covered on the Dollar General third quarter earnings call and many things that I'll be anxious to learn about come this time next week. Well, that'll do it for our show today. Once again, thanks to Leighton Behind the Scenes. We thank all of you for listening Coming up on next week's show, we'll be joined by Jasmine Johnson. Jasmine is the VP of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at ICSC. We'll talk to her about those initiatives as far as retail real estate is concerned, but also what the industry can do as a whole to buy into concepts and ideas from minority owners and from smaller retail operations In terms of finding that retail space, we've heard from many that for smaller retailers, for minority-owned retailers, for startup retailers, it is becoming increasingly difficult to find space or to get landlords to agree to rent to them. So we'll discuss those issues with Jasmine, as well as something that ICSC has going on called the Launch Academy that Jasmine is very proud of. So that's coming up on next week's episode. We hope everyone has a great seven days, and we'll rejoin you then.
0: the retail focus podcast for more visit our website at retailfocuspodcast.com and subscribe on itunes or stitcher follow us on twitter at retail podcast